I want to invite you to grab a Bible with me this morning, if you will, or open that Bible app, grab a Bible in the pew rack in front of you. But join me in Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2. You know, one of the things about the biblical prophets is that they're always very direct. And uh, they don't beat around the bush. They don't sugarcoat things. They tell it like it is, and they confront disobedience because they know that God wants to bless his people. And in order to bless them, they need to obey him. The repeated message of the prophets to the people is that they need to repent of their sin and return to the Lord. And as we've seen, that is the main theme of the book of Malachi. It's the key verse of understanding what the prophet is trying to communicate. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. Decades earlier, God had allowed them to be taken into exile by the Babylonians because of their sin and their failure to follow him. After 70 years of exile, they returned to the promised land under the leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah. And they experienced this great time of revival. And now, once again, they have fallen back into their bad habits. And God, in his grace and mercy, raises up another prophet. And through the prophet, he reminds his people of the great love that he has for them, how he's chosen them as a special people. And he wants them to return to him so that he can bless them again and not curse them. He wants them to shine as a light among the nations so that the world may know that there's only one God and that besides him there is no other God. So Malachi is very direct in the way that he communicates. And today we're going to be looking at some very direct truths from the word of God. But as always, the Bible tells us that as believers we are to speak the truth in love. So tone matters but at the same time, we, all, we, we never want to hide away from the truth. This morning, we are going to be talking about some challenging things, particularly as it relates to marriage relationships. And can I say that here at the very beginning, that none of us is where we need to be in having the perfect relationship. We all fall short, we all miss the mark, and yet God has a beautiful image in his mind um, and, and when he, uh, of what it is that he's trying to create and when, he, when we follow his plans for what our home is to look like, we can actually have a little slice of heaven here on this earth. I mean, isn't that what it is that you want? I know it is what I want for myself. Well, in Malachi's day, there was obviously trouble at home among the people, and this is one of the issues that he addresses here. He's already talked about how they had corrupted the temple in the way that they were worshiping. But now he's going to talk about how they're corrupting the home in the way that they're living in their marriages. And so today we're going to take a few minutes to talk about why trouble at home is troubling to God. I have a picture of me and Sue and the kids that we're going to put up on the screen here this morning. This was taken about a year ago, but we got all dressed up, color-coordinating outfits and all, and we took some pictures together as a family right outside of the church, right out, right out here. And one of the things that I just love about this particular picture is that Sue and I are in the foreground. The kids are kind of off to the side and in the background a little bit, but... 
I, I don't say that because I want to be the center of attention by any stretch of the imagination. I don't want life to revolve around me. That's not the point here. I, I, I don't, I'm not trying to say that I don't love my kids by saying that. I do love my kids, and uh, you know that if you know me. But at the same time, I think that this is a bit of an image of what family life was designed by God to be like. It is important for a husband and a wife to love each other, to honor each other, to cherish each other. And when that happens, that is healthy and that is good for the kids. A lot of people talk today about what's most important is to do what is best for your kids, to give your kids the best thing that that you can. Well, I believe that one of the best things that you can give as a husband and a wife to your kids is to be faithful in love and respect and honor for each other in the context of a fam- of family life, in the context of married life. You know, I love my wife, Sue, in so many ways. She is a hero to me. I mean, she's a hero in the way that she cares for our kids, the way that she cares for me, the way that she cares for our house, the way that she cares for our church family, the way that she cares and is a part of this community. She is my hero, and part of the reason why we have a God-blessed home over the years is because of her. And I hope that she would say the same thing about me if she was given the opportunity. But that wasn't the case for the people in Malachi's day. There was spiritual drift as it relates to worship. There was spiritual drift as it related to commitment and to the covenant of marriage. Compromise had crept into their spiritual lives. Compromise had crept into their married lives. And Malachi is very quick to confront it here in the second half of chapter 2. Now, we're, gonna, we're not going to read all of this section here at the beginning, but I do want to start out by reading a few of these verses. And so I'm going to begin in verse 13, and here's what it says. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer guard, regards the offerings or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. He did not make them, or did, uh, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. To go, so guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourself, yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Now, most of you probably already know that the Bible has a lot to say 
about marriage. And we could go to a bunch of different passages in both the Old Testament and in the New Testament, but what we're going to try to do today is to focus in our attention on what it is that Malachi is trying to say here. Because I think that if we can understand this here from a biblical perspective, we can understand why trouble at home is so troubling to God. And this morning we want to focus in on four reasons why Malachi says that's true. The first is just very simply that marriage is a picture of the covenant. Marriage is a picture of our covenant relationship with God. Now, let, let me just say at the very beginning here that the primary issue in Malachi's day is that um, at the, the, the end of chapter 2 here, it involves two things that are happening. Number one is that these men were divorcing their wives, wives that they had married at one time within the covenant of faith. They were dissolving these marriages. They were casting these wives uh, to the side. But then number two, they were marrying women who were outside of the covenant community. In other words, they were marrying non-Jews from uh, pagan neighbors that were around them. And so not only were they divorcing their wives, wives of the covenant, but they were connecting with marrying the, the, and marrying these wives who were outside of the covenant community of faith, what Malachi calls the daughter of a foreign god. And God is not happy with this at all. In fact, here is what Malachi says in chapter 2 in verse 10. Have we not all one father? Has not God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Verse 14. The Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Uh, Malachi asks a question here that kind of sets the stage for the entire section when he says, why then are we faithless to one another? And really, um, it, 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 he already knows the answer to that question, but he asks this question in order to get the people to think, why then are we faithless to one another? But, but that question uh, could be asked, and I, I think, not just about uh, Christian marriages, but just about Christian relationships in general, especially in our day. I mean, uh, ha have you noticed that in our day, brothers and sisters in Christ will separate themselves sometimes over the silliest of things? And so we need to ask this question of all of our relationships in general. Why then are we faithless to one another? There, there's a reason why we should not be, and it is grounded in, this, uh, in the first two questions that Malachi asks here in uh, verse 10. Have we not all one Father? Has not God created us? If you're taking notes here this morning, you might want to write down that word unity. Unity. Because the thing that jumps out to me from the page, these pages here, these, this passage that we read, these verses here, and I've read them several times over the last seven days, but it's the word one that just comes up over and over and over again. One father, one God, one another, one covenant, one relationship, one people. In the New Testament, Paul would say it this way in Galatians chapter 3, 
For in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Friends, there is an essential unity that connects the people of God, and that's true for all of us. We're, we're all one people, one community, called into a covenant relationship with one creator God, and we are to live together in peace and harmony. And when we fail to live in peace and harmony with one another, Malachi says that we are profaning the covenant of our fathers, which is a pretty bold statement. To profane means to defile or to pollute the covenant that when we separate over things that we shouldn't be separating over. And so these are pretty strong words here. Basically, Malachi is saying, listen, when you choose selfish desires or personal gratification over serious covenant communi- uh, commitment uh, to other people, you are committing treason. It is treason against God and it is treason against another person as well. Now, nowhere is that more significant than in a marriage relationship, which is probably the closest relationship that we have outside of our relationship with the Lord. I think that oftentimes marriage in our culture is looked at as a matter of convenience, that it's more about an emotional thing than it is about a spiritual thing. I mean, you can go to Las Vegas and have an Elvis impersonator marry you. You can go online and get a license for your pet to marry you. There's really nothing to it. Our culture does not take marriage all that seriously. We, we just do it until it doesn't feel good anymore. And then we, we, we just, when it becomes too much, when it becomes inconvenient, we just kind of break it off and say, whatever. But, but let me just say this morning that God never takes a position like that. Because marriage is not a contract between two people, but rather it is part of a covenant relationship that two people have with God. Pastor John Piper, he writes these words, and we're going to put them up on the screen, but he says, Biblical marriage is rooted not in the sands of emotional satisfaction, but in the rock of of covenant commitment. Biblical marriage is rooted not in the sand of emotional satisfaction, but in the rock of covenant commitment. That's basically what Malachi says in chapter 2 and verse 14 when he says, The wife of your youth is your companion and your wife by covenant. In other words, marriage is God's design and not our design. By faith... We become one with God in and through Jesus Christ. And by covenant and commitment, we become one with each other through the sacred institution of marriage. For us today, we would say that marriage is not only a picture of the covenant, but marriage is a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I try to remind people of that every time that I do a wedding, uh, that, that, uh, the, that marriage is a picture of the gospel. Marriage is a picture of the gospel. When a, a person is saved in Jesus Christ, they become one with God in Christ and God becomes one with them. And the first words that Christ says to any person who becomes part of his family through the gospel is, you know what? I I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
And in marriage, marriage is supposed to be just like that. That, that. That's why we call it a picture of the gospel, that the gospel, that in the gospel we have this union with Christ, and in marriage we have this union with one another. And this is why Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24 says this, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. There is a oneness in marriage. It is a picture of the gospel, and it is not just Jason and Sue. No, when we got married, in the eyes of God, we were united, and now we become Jason Sue. It's like it's all one word, Jason Sue. Now, we're still both individuals, but somehow, supernaturally, God sees us as one in this covenant of marriage. And it's why Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So there is this oneness in marriage that's part of this covenant unity that is designed by God, which is why trouble at home is so troubling to God. But there's a second reason, and that is because of the covenant nature of marriage, believers are to marry only believers. Because of the covenant nature of marriage, believers are to marry only believers. Now, I realize here this morning that just as I say that, that that's not always the case for everyone here. And some uh, maybe have married outside of the covenant of faith. And as you're sitting here this morning, maybe you'd be even tempted as we're kind of talking about this section a little bit, is that you might be saying, well, you know, maybe I should just bail on this thing. Maybe I just need to give up on this thing. No, you don't. I, I want to be really clear here. You need to stay married to the person that you are married to right now. Because that is what it means to be obedient to the Lord. But this is what the prophet addresses here in verse 11. When he says this. Judah has been faithless and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. Now that, that phrase there at the end of the verse, has married a daughter of the foreign god, is speaking of marrying outside the covenant community of faith. We would talk about it maybe in terms of marrying an unbeliever. Now, there are lots of reasons why the men in Malachi's day would have maybe done this. Maybe they were doing this for selfish reasons, because they liked what they saw. Maybe they had done this because of political reasons or economic purposes that uh, they were trying to cut a deal with someone. In fact, it was a common practice at that time that, that you would try to make alliances with the nations around you. And oftentimes men would marry women from other countries in order to create these certain connections in order to grow their businesses. But God had made it very clear that they were not supposed to do that. Because if they did that, not only would they violate the terms of the covenant, but they would fail to be a special people that God had set them apart for a special purpose. And they would bring corrupt practices into their homes because they were marrying people who were worshiping and serving other gods, which was a major problem in the eyes of an almighty God. 
God knew that this was going to be a constant source of temptation from the very beginning of time when the Israelites moved into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. That's why he gives them in the law these recorded direct orders in the book of Deuteronomy that God says through Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 7, he says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, you shall not make, you shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters as your, uh, for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serving other gods. Uh, of course, that principle is reinforced in the New Testament as well in a very familiar passage that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14 when he says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership does righteousness have, uh, righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? Listen, one of the major difficulties, one of the major challenges of being married to somebody who is not a believer, who, when you are a believer, is that you cannot have spiritual fellowship together. That Paul says, what fellowship has light with darkness? It just can't happen. What partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? There is none. This image of being unequally yoked is a very common biblical image. It's a farming image that has to do with plowing a field. And so if you would go outside of the city and you get into those farming communities and you would probably see today some kind of maybe a big tractor out there in the field. But... Back in the day, you wouldn't see a big tractor. You would see something more like this picture that we're going to put up on the screen. That that it was uh, the plowing was done in um, the olden days or back in the day with a team of oxen. That they would yoke them together with this wooden frame that would go around the, both of their necks and their shoulders. And um, the, the oxen would uh, be joined together and they would be working together uh, to, uh, to accomplish this task of plowing this field. And the farmer knew that in order to get the best results, in order to uh, plow the, the field in a straight line, you had to have animals that were relatively the same. That you couldn't have a big ox and a small little donkey in the same yoke because then the plow would just move sideways and you wouldn't be very productive. And that's why this is applied to the marriage relationship. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, that statement is not exclusive to marriage. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. It's important to be reminded of that in any of our relationships. That, that, that's something that we should consider when we consider business partnerships or when we consider who our close friends are going to be. I mean, if you know the Lord and your business partner doesn't, you know that there's going to be a competing worldview in your business. And when a believer marries an unbeliever, there is a continual tug of war of competing worldviews in the home. How do, you, how, how do you understand God? I mean, how do you understand life? 
How do you look at and understand other people? How do you make decisions about things? How do you understand stewardship? How do you understand the Bible? How do you understand eternity? And it's not just that, that those things can't be worked out, that, that, you, that, that you can't um, uh, have a marriage in that way, but it just makes it difficult. And listen, I mean, Sue and I have been married for 21, 21 years, and can I just say, marriage is difficult enough when both people are believers, but when you bring a competing worldview into the marriage situation, it just creates friction and uh, just virtually every area of your life it becomes challenging. How are we going to spend our money? How are we going to give our money? Are, are we going to honor God in how we use our money? Or are we just going to spend all of our money on ourselves? It affects what we read. It affects what we don't read. Uh, what, what can we watch together on TV? What should we not be watching? How do we make decisions about buying a car or about taking a job? How are we going to raise our children? Listen, the bottom line is that it affects about every single decision that we make. Because as believers, our biggest concern is, how do I best honor and glorify God with my life? And if your spouse is an unbeliever, it is not going to be the number one priority in your marriage. And so let me just say to those of you this morning who are single and who are desirous of a spouse, this is why it is so important that you marry someone who is a believer, who loves Jesus with their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and is committed to honoring him with their life. Now, this is an important thing because there is a third principle, and it's that infidelity in the marriage covenant hinders our worship of God. Infidelity to the marriage covenant hinders our worship of God. If somehow you as a believer get dragged into the pole of a secular worldview, it will inevitably affect your worship of God. One of the major themes here in the book of Malachi is how the worship of the people of God had become corrupted, led by the priests themselves. And what Malachi addresses here is that if you marry someone outside of the covenant community, and if you unbiblically, or if you unbiblically divorce your spouse, you are corrupting the worship of God. Why? Well, because you're putting what you want above what God wants. And when you know what God's will is for your life and you intentionally disregard it, that is by very definition idolatry, which is why it corrupts the worship of a holy God. There are uh, spiritual consequences to doing these things that Malachi is talking about. And in verse 12, here's what we read. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. You see, when we do things our way, it hinders our fellowship with God and our worship of God. And in verse 13, he continues that thought when he says, And this second thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering offering, or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, 
Why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Verse 16. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. These verses here talk about the high price that husbands were paying back in Malachi's day because of their refusal to do what God had told them to do. They, they were coming to the temple. They were bringing their offerings. They, they were doing what the law had told them to do. But Malachi had said that their worship was corrupted and spoiled and not accepted by God because of their spiritual compromise. And, and now here we find out that God was not accepting their offerings because of, of the fact that these men were, were not treating their wives very well. They were casting them aside in order to marry pagan foreign women instead. Malachi says, your garments are covered with violence. The word violence there is the word, the Hebrew word Hamas. You probably have heard that word before. It's in the news all the time. The terrorist group, Hamas, violence. And Malachi says, you have covered yourselves with it by tossing your wives aside and by injuring them. And when you injure them, you're injuring your relationship with God. Listen. The reason why it was violence against these wives was because they had nowhere to go. They would have been social outcasts with no way of earning a living, no way to care for themselves. The, these men were doing violence to their wives, but it, it was also violence against God because it was corrupting the covenant which was the, the, a standard of having committed relationships, committed marriages, living together in unity and in harmony. And God designed this covenant of two becoming one for life. But when a marriage gets broken, it breaks fellowship with God as well. A broken relationship at home means a broken relationship with the Lord. And that's why trouble at home is so troubling to God. One last point here this morning, and that's this. It's kind of a summary statement here. Believers are to guard themselves and to remain committed to the marriage covenant. Believers are to guard themselves and to remain committed to the marriage covenant. The word guard is used twice in verse 15 and 16. And it reminds me of a verse that I found to be very meaningful over the years. Proverbs chapter 4 in verse 23, it says this, Above all else, above all else, guard your heart, for from it flows the springs of life. And now here comes Malachi, centuries after that verse had been written by Solomon, and he gives this warning to guard yourself. Here's what he says in verse 15, Did he not make them one? with a portion of the Spirit in their union. And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. It's a great statement that focuses on the seriousness of the marriage covenant and why it needs to be entered into with so much seriousness and so much thoughtfulness. Because one of the purposes of marriage, as God has designed it, 
is to produce godly offspring. You know, children are such a blessing from God. Well, the, the first commandment that God gives to the first man and the first woman when they were joined together, Adam and Eve, was be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. God was seeking godly offspring. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to have children, but one of the purposes of marriage is family. God wants us to fill the earth with godly image bearers who testify to his marvelous grace. You don't get married and have children in order to kind of have an accessory in your life. You don't get married and have children in order to feel better about yourself. One of the primary functions of marriage and why we unite ourselves to another person and have children is because it is an act of worship to the one true God in order to bring honor and glory to his name. So one of the primary functions of marriage is that we raise godly children. But not only that, we, we need to remember that because marriage is a picture of the covenant, a picture of the gospel, God has designed marriage to be a, a lifelong commitment. The two shall become one flesh. And that principle of one flesh is what makes divorce such a problem with God. Now, I realize that some of you here this morning might, might say, well, aren't there a couple of exceptions uh, that are mentioned in the New Testament to that. And that's true, and they, there are. But I think that all too often we want to focus on the exceptions rather than what the Bible teaches in general about marriage and divorce. And in, instead of giving up, that we are to guard it, that we are to work it through. And Malachi says here, you know what, when it comes to divorce, just don't do it. And, and he doesn't give any exceptions at all. He just says, work it out, repent, forgive. You say, well, I mean, <laughs> we just have a bunch of irreconcilable differences. Well, listen, God has those with you too, by the way. A bunch of irreconcilable differences. But it didn't stop him to say in saving your life. It didn't stop him from showing you grace and mercy. No, the best response is one uh, that, that most, honors the God, uh, most honors God. And so you say, well, how can I best honor God in how, how I approach this marriage moving forward? Well, it always involves repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation and a commitment to walk in an abiding relationship with the God of the universe. Friends, as we've been talking about today, trouble at home is troubling to God. And the key here is to do what Malachi says as he concludes this passage when he says, So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife or the husband of your youth. Let's pray.